Well, Merry Christmas to you. We're in Luke 2. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story from Luke's perspective. 20 verses, but we will move quickly. But let's pay attention, beginning right here in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, even in these first few verses here, there's quite a lot to pay attention to. And the first thing I want to root them in our principle And that is that the Christmas story is rooted in history and not myth. Look back at your text there. You'll notice a number of historical details. A decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, a decree was a directive. A, you need to do this or there's going to be consequences. And the decree was that there would be a calling back of men uh, to be registered. Kind of a census kind of deal that they... Uh, would be basically taxed and conscripted in some form into the army. They would at least know how many soldiers that they have to call upon and so on and so forth. And that was done through the hand of this man, Caesar Augustus. And I got to be honest, someone who grew up in the 80s, every time I see that word Augustus, I cannot help but think of Augustus Gloop from Wonka fame. I don't know if anybody's seen the new one yet, if he's made it into that one or not, but... I'll check it out and report back. But aside from that, this Caesar here was a very real individual. He was actually uh, Julius Caesar, his, his, uh, his great nephew, and he, he had been adopted and conferred the power to continue on the line. And this empire that they are a part of here is the Roman Empire, which was the largest in history. It was made up of multiple languages and people groups and so on and so forth. And the fact that all of this is happening and this registration is happening and the decree is coming through his hand shows us that this is not a fable. This is not a story that was given simply to inspire, but this is actual factual history. And also look back at verse four here. Joseph, which is Jesus's earthly father, of course, going up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. None of that was by accident as well. In fact, that gives us our second principle, and that is that the Christmas story is also a powerful reminder of the sovereignty of God upon display. See, it was forecast back in Micah chapter 5, 2, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, the one that would be the ruler of Israel, whose origin is from ancient days. (coughs) He would come from Bethlehem. Again, that's not accident, that's providence. And to take that a step further, you see it in the rest of the verse. Because he was from the house and the lineage of David. There again is another example of the providence of God on display. God fulfilling his promise that the Messiah would come through the line of David. But that's not all. Because they were also to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, which for us... We don't have an exact parallel today, but it was kind of uh, an an engagement on steroids. 
a very strong commitment. Basically, a marriage had occurred, everything except the consummation. And so even that who has taken place in this way is a fulfillment of prophecy and the revelation of the sovereignty of God. Now, if you also think about when in history all of this occurred, this is a wonderful reminder of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and, four, 4 and 5, that says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So all of these details, all of these places from just the right place at just the right time through just the right people, a reminder again <clears throat> that God is revealing his will and his salvation through his son. Now look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn and, and son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now the way that we often see this picture, and I'm sad to say, is pretty far from the truth. You get to see a manger scene. Somebody in your neighborhood's got one if you don't have one. And all the people are always very well put together. It's always very well lit. Everyone looks like they just stepped out of some kind of beauty salon. But the reality is, it's possible that this stable was actually in a cave. Would have been extremely dark. Would have been very dirty. Would have been increasingly smelly. Animals would have been there as well. <coughs> But even in the midst of all that, you can tell that Mary and Joseph love baby Jesus. The fact that these swaddling cloths are used, or tight little strips of cloth that held Jesus in place so that his little baby fingernails, which are much like Freddy Krueger's apparently, if you've ever held an infant, you know they are a danger to themselves and others. Jesus would have had those as well, and they held him together so that he couldn't hurt himself. But it showed that there was a warmth and a care for them toward Jesus, even in the midst of this very rough surrounding. And this fact here with the manger, that is often a piece of the Christmas story that is lost or not made enough of. Because a manger was basically a feeding trough. And what would often happen is the angels would, or the angels, it's been a long day, the animals would eat the hay out of the manger, and then as they bumped around and did what, anim did, did what animals do after they eat, you can imagine the smell and the stench and just the difficulty of that circumstance, but that's what they had. And in the midst of all that, that gives us our next principle. This tells us a great deal about the kind of Savior that Jesus was going to be. He was not afraid to bring his light into our darkness. He was not afraid to bring his purity into our mess. He was not afraid to set aside the height of his glory and enter in to the lowest of places. All of this is strategic. All of this is intended to communicate something about who Jesus was and who he was going to be. And it communicates something to us still today, doesn't it? The deepest darkness that we would have experienced this week, whether it was through grief or sin, or someone sinning against us. Jesus is not afraid of that. He is not afraid to bring his light into our dark place. And we need to embrace that. We need to be encouraged by it. We need to be helped by it. 
just as we would be by the next verses as well. Look at verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. <clears throat> now let's talk a bit about the shepherds here, because they are often whitewashed on the palette of history as well. You see those shepherds, when they're all lit up, they look sharp. But the reality is they would have been much more in line for a position on Mike Rowe's dirty jobs. In fact, it was one of the lowest, least respected professions in all of the world at that time. <clears throat> These guys had tough work. They slept outside. They had to wrangle obstinate sheep. They had to sometimes fight predators like wolves, sometimes even bears or lions. But because of the nature of their work, they weren't just physically dirty, they were also ceremonially unclean. Because they couldn't just leave the, shepherd or the sheep out to wander, they, they could not go to the temple and participate in the, uh, the needful ceremonial cleansings at this time. <clears throat> they were also known to be very untrustworthy. They were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And they were looked down upon by everyone. And yet, in the midst of all that, that is who God chose to entrust the good news of Jesus to. Like what John Calvin has to say about that, he said, <coughs> though God had at his command many honorable and distinguished witnesses, he passed by all of them and chose shepherds, people of humble rank and no account among men. Friends, again, that is not an accident. That is providence. God is communicating something about his nature. He's communicating something about the gospel, who it's for, that it's not simply for the high and lofty, but it is for the low of the world. That God goes after those that have been passed over, picked over, and put aside. That he is the God of the outcast, the second class, just as much as he is as the presidents and the kings and the rulers of the world. And by bringing the good news to the shepherds first, he communicates that. Friends, that's still true today. Some of us may be here and we may feel that we have no standing to even hear the good news of Jesus. Friend, if you are here today, God has brought you here not by accident, by providence. To hear the good news of the gospel communicated to you. He is sharing the good news with you just like he shared it with the shepherds. In fact, isn't that the story of all of us? <clears throat> that all of us were just like these shepherds. Now we might not, as, not, might not have been as untrustworthy or as physically dirty as they would have been. But were we not untrustworthy in our sins and transgressions? Were we not dirty in enslavement to our own sinful desires before we met Christ? Absolutely we were. And yet, at our worst, God gave us his best in the gospel, in us hearing it. He chooses to entrust the highest news to the lowest people. Let's not let that be lost on us today. But also... Let's pay attention to this as well. Look back in verse 10 at what the angel says to them. 
he says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you <coughs> is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, again, the fact that he says fear not is of consequence. God could have very easily and rightly shown up through this angel and said, Stand up on both feet, up tall, up straight. Listen, I'm going to address you. But instead, what did he do? He ministered to their hearts right where they were. He saw that they were afraid. He saw that they were overcome by trying to understand what it was that they were seeing. And in the midst of all that, he speaks to them. Friends, again, he does the same thing for us today. For many, this is the most wonderful time of year. You get to eat food that you don't eat through the year. You get to see people that you're actually excited to see. But that's not everybody's story, is it? Christmas, for most people, is a mix of both. It's a little bit of Sunday morning and a little bit of Cousin Eddie. And in the midst of all that, God still comes and he says, fear not. Don't be afraid of those conversations that you're going to have. Don't be afraid of those people that, that you know there's going to be some awkwardness. Trust me in the midst of that. I bring you comfort just like I brought those shepherds comfort. You might say, but Dustin, it's, it's been a heck of a year. I've been a mess. Well, guess what? The whole world has been a mess. And what this verse says to us here in verse 10 is, who is this for? It is good news, a great joy for all the people. And perhaps you are in greater touch with your sinfulness and your frailty and your weakness this year. In some ways, that's good. Let that draw you to Christ. Let his grace be a balm to you. And may you embrace the freshness of the gospel just like these shepherds would have heard that good news this day. Good news of great joy for all the people. Now, Let's also think about this as well. <clears throat> the nature of good news. This is a, the Greek word, the verbal form of gospel. And the fact that it goes for everyone is a good reminder for us as well. It's very easy for us in a world in which we live today that is so polarized. We couldn't be more divided and more different on so many if issues. And guess what? Next year is an election year. Yay! So it's going to be complete nonsense again. And yet in the midst of that, we have good news of great joy for all the people. People who think like us, people who don't think like us, people who vote like us, people who don't vote like us, people who don't vote at all. It's good news of great joy for everyone. And friends, as we think about the story of Christmas, Let's think about the fact that the gospel is for all of us. The most spiritual, the least spiritual. The most faithful, the most doubting. It's good news of great joy for all the people. People with the worldview that we have, people that aren't. We need to hold out the gospel of Jesus for everyone. We need to share the good news for everyone. 
And one of the things that will help us with that is thinking about how the gospel would apply to us. My hope is that tonight we get a little taste of this. Tomorrow you get a little taste of this. Hopefully somewhere in the midst of all the Christmas hullabaloo, you'll sit down and maybe read back through this story. Feel free to use anything I've talked about tonight in your sermon at home. But that there would always be a sense of amazement that we would be part of the all people that the gospel is for. Just like David taught us last week that there would never be and of courseness about the gospel. That we would always be drawn back to an amazement. That the good news of Jesus found its way to us. Friends, again, that is not an accident. That is provident. God saved us in part so that we might proclaim his excellencies to the world around us. And may we be faithful and look for opportunities to do that even in the coming days. And may we do it from a sense not simply of duty, but of delight, of amazement that we would be in on it at all. Now, let's also think about this. Look back in your text about what it says about Jesus in verse 11. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the word Savior there simply means he is the one who saves. And we need a Savior whether we realize it or not. All of us are born in sin. All of us make terrible choices at times on top of that. And because of our sinfulness, there is a gap fixed between us and a holy God. Us in our sin, God in his holiness. And the only way that we can cross that great divide is through by what the Bible talks about being saved. It's coming to the place where we own our spiritual bankruptcy and say, hey, listen, I cannot work my way across this ditch. Someone has to help me. And then we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as that helper, as our Savior, that he came and died for our sins, but he also lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he rose again, this baby grows up and rises again after his sacrificial death to allow us to cross that bridge. He is our Savior. And so when we hear that, the right response for us is to turn from our sins and trust in Christ and begin to follow him. That is one of the, the chief reasons he came was to save anyone, any man, any woman, any boy or girl that would turn from their sins and trust in him. But also he is Christ. That is the Greek, uh, which is a, for the, the, the translation for the word Messiah. And it is a title more than it is a name. And the idea here is that he is the long prophesied ruler and the one that was promised. And finally also that he was Lord, which means that he is the sovereign ruler over all the earth and all of creation. I like how John Piper sums this up. He said, Christmas in sum is this, the Lord of never-ending universal sovereign governance. The Lord of Lords, on a day, in real history, in a city, in the real world, 
the Savior who came to take away our guilt, the Christ who fulfills all of our hopes and longings, and the Lord to defeat all of our enemies and make us safe and satisfied forever. That is the gift we need at Christmas. Much more than anything under the tree, we need Christ. And the great news of Christmas is that God in his kindness has given us to him. So the question we need to be asking ourselves here is, have we embraced him? Have we received the gift that God has generously given? And if we haven't, in just a moment, when the rest of us take communion, you will have the opportunity to embrace this gift of Jesus like so many in this room have. Now, let's jump back here in verse 12. Because we learn a little bit more about the shepherds as well. Look at this. It says, <coughs> And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So, again, what seems like an inconsequential detail was an exact fulfillment. That the angel said, It will be this way, and it will show that this is true. And goodness, that's exactly what they find when they eventually get there. But first, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning, uh, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the takeaway from that for us, in addition to all of the good news that is revealed, is that just like the shepherds, we should share the good news about Jesus with others as well. And friends, again, the hope that we have from this is it comes from a place of delight more than a place of duty. That we don't walk into these exchanges that we have with people saying, oh, i got to try to share the gospel, but more with an attitude of we get to share the gospel. That Jesus has saved us and as he would give us opportunity, we share that others can be saved. That it is good news of great joy for all the people. And also, kind of as a postscript here too, I also find it interesting that they are invited to go see that it was just as what God said. You know, Christianity sometimes is falsely maligned as this <coughs> blind faith kind of anti-intellectual thought system or religion. But in fact, the opposite is true. And this is yet another example of it. It invites our study. It invites our questions. It invites us to go deeper, to scratch, to sniff, to dig, to see, is this really true? And as we begin to do those things, we find Christianity is even more reliable. It's even more true. It's even more transformative than perhaps we initially thought.
And so when you think of all that together, you think about what we learn about its historical nature. You think about how we see the thread of providence that runs throughout this. You, you see the, the, the very sovereign superintention of God and what he's seeking to communicate through the shepherds and through the stable and through the, the names that Jesus has given. You see the invitation to come and investigate for yourself and then also share with other people. Friends, we wonder again and again at the Lord Jesus. We see his gl glory and beauty and majesty on display. So it is no shock that some would call him the reason for the season. It is no shock that people would leave their comfortable lives, sometimes here in America, and go to the ends of the earth to, to, to share the good news of Jesus with people who've never heard it. It's because Jesus is worth it all. He should be the reason that we work hard and play hard. The reason that we get up in the morning and the reason we go down at night. The reason that we put the kids on the bus and we work hard at the workplace. Jesus is the reason for all of it. And here at Christmas, we are reminded again of just how worthy he is. That he came laid aside for a season the benefits of heaven, took upon himself all the difficulty of human life, and offers salvation to us. Good news of great joy for all the people. Let us embrace it. Let us revel in it. Let us be reminded again of the goodness of our God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are thankful to be together tonight, to have a brief time to reflect on some of the wonder of the Christmas story. Lord, I pray that this would spawn many more conversations and lots of questions from little ones and lots of good conversations around the Christmas tree and the dinner table and so on and so forth. Lord, most of all, we pray that if there's any gathered with us tonight that don't yet know you, then in your kindness you would lead them to repentance, that today would be the day of salvation, and that they would experience the greatness and the gift of Christmas for the first time. Lord, we also thank you for the symbol that you've given us in communion to remind us that this Baby Jesus did not stay small, but he indeed rose and lived and died and then rose again. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name.